So I'm really excited this morning because we are kicking off a new series called By Design. And we've come such a long way in our spiritual journey this year, right? We started in bondage in Egypt, if you will, one of our series earlier on. And then we were making our way to the promised land. We were taking new ground and holding our ground. And, and this morning, this morning, um, what I want to do is, 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 is figure out how do we harness that strength in a way and encourage you to kind of live out what we've been talking about. How do we harness the strength, the spiritual strength that you have through throughout the time we spend together this year and the spiritual maturity and how do we harness that strength to impact the world around us? So that's what we want to do. We want to impact the world around us. Now, if you uh, know the story I'm about to tell, you've been a part of Grace Chapel for a very long time. As you came in, you got that pencil that said, by design. And it's an illustration I used years and years ago, but it fits so well with this series that I wanted to kind of resurrect a little bit and use it again. The first time I ever saw this type of pencil, I was 12 years old. Now, I grew up in New York with my mom. My brother grew up in Virginia with my father. My father was a contractor. My brother is now a contractor. But I was 12. My brother was 14. <clears throat> I went to visit my brother and my father for vacation. And I'm thinking we're going there. and Maybe we'll go fishing. Maybe we'll go to some amusement park. Maybe we'll hang out, whatever. But no, when I got there, what we did, and I realized this as the years went on, when I went to visit, we worked. Okay, so they were building a house. And because I had no skill and still have very little skill when it comes to building things or using tools, I was responsible for taking all the wood that was at the road that they dropped off the road and carrying it up to the work site. Great job. All right. Great job. When you have no skill, you get the kind of you get that kind of job. So we were building this house and we, they framed it in and yeah, they, they started it, they got it all done and they were putting the roof on. It got to the point where we're going to put the roof on. So my father in his incredible wisdom uh, told a 12-year-old with absolutely no skill whatsoever and a 14-year-old who had some skill, he said, I'm going to go, you guys start putting the roof on. I'm like, this man lost his mind. Okay, I thought, well, that's because my brother has done this before. So we got up on the roof and started putting the roof on. And, you know, he said, you know, you start right here, line the shingles up, make sure they're straight. And uh, we started doing it. And I trusted my brother and I would hand him shingles and he would nail them on. And I started nailing them on. We thought it was awesome. All right. Awesome, because we weren't down on the ground looking at looking at the shingles. You know what I mean? How they were being aligned on the roof. Well, the long story short, my father came back and had a heart attack because we were like a ways in and it literally was the you know, shingles were like this. And I'm thinking to myself, what do you expect from a 12 and 14 year old? But here's the thing. We're up on the roof and I wanted to be like them. So I took a pencil and I stuck it in my ear because that's what construction people do. They always have a pencil in their ear, right? My brother had this type of pencil and I had a pencil like a normal kind of round pencil. And I would put the pencil down and it would roll off the roof. I get off the roof, down the ladder, get my pencil, stick it back in my ear. I start working again and dumb 12 year old me would put the pen down and roll off the roof. My brother, on the other hand, had a pencil that wasn't round. It was flat. And so when he was on the roof, it was a decently pitched roof, he'd lay his pencil down and would just stay there. And I finally looked over and said, why doesn't your pencil roll off the roof? And he said, because I have a carpenter's pencil. 
And I said, let me see it. And I looked at it and everything. And I said, that's amazing. And he just, and basically what he said, it was that that's the way they designed it. They designed it so it wouldn't roll off the roof. That's the way it was purposed. It has a purpose, a specific purpose. So it doesn't roll off things when you're working. And see, here's the, here's the, the thing about that. Like the pencil, we were designed by God for a specific purpose. Every single one of us in this room was designed with a specific purpose. And that's what this series is all about. Living out our design. Living out the design that God has for our lives. See, in the beginning, God created, God created every single one of us to live a life on purpose and in fellowship with Him and with each other. That's the way God designed us. He wanted to have fellowship with us. He wanted to be in an intimate relationship with us. And he wanted us to be in an intimate relationship with with other people. And in the beginning, it was all good. It was all good. And God was creating and God was 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 designing. And you ever you ever see that slogan, life is good? Well, that was originally God's idea, okay? It is good. God would, would create something when he was creating the world. He would create after a day and he, and he would say, he would stop and he would reflect on what he had created and he said, it is good. This is good. And another day would go by and he'd say, and this is good. And then at the end of the week, he created Adam and Eve and he said, this is very good. So in the beginning, it was all good. We had that relationship. See, I don't think God does anything in a half-hearted way. He does everything with perfection. He does everything with a design. He does everything with a purpose, and that includes us. So I want you to hold on to that pencil. All right, throughout this series and every pretty much every week, I'm going to give you something different to remember, to kind of to hold on to, to remember what we were talking about. And this morning, we'll start off with with the pencil. So like the pencil, like the pencil, he designed us with a purpose. Everything he does has a purpose. So what is God's purpose for designing humans? What was God's ultimate purpose for designing you, for designing uh, me, for designing Adam and Eve and all the way, all the way back? One thing that we, one thing that we definitely, definitely know is that He created us because He loved us. To love us. And to have fellowship with us. God designed and created every single one of us because he loved us and wanted to have an intimate fellowship with us. He put Adam in the garden to, 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 to take care of it, yes, but in the evening, the Bible says that he would, he would come down and he would connect. He would fellowship. He had an intimate relationship with Adam. They would walk in the garden together. That's the way God designed it, so that we can be in relationship with him, in close relationship with him. He loved Adam. He loved him. And this is very important. It's very important that we understand love is God's most definitive quality. It's not just that God loves. God is love. God is love. Obviously, it's other attributes, but God is love. Paul speaks about it. He says, he says there's faith, hope, and love. But then he says, but the greatest of these is love. 
The greatest of these is love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it describes the kind of love that God designed and that God desires. A love that was created to impact the lives of other people. To, for us to invest in the lives of other people. Jesus Christ came and set that example, right? That we would love others more than we love ourselves. That we would invest in other people. That we would care for them and, and, and invest in them and think about them before we think about ourselves. Easy to say, very difficult to do. But that is God, was God's design and God's desire for every single one of us. That we would love Him, that we would love each other. We'll talk more about that in greater detail next week. So God also created Adam and Eve to do good works. That's what the Bible says. So you were created to be loved and to love others. But we were also created to do good works. To do good works. In Genesis chapter 2, we see that God's plan in the beginning was to put Adam in the garden to work it, to take care of it. Okay? To take care of it. We were designed for a mission, to, for, for, to be on mission, to do something, to, to, to live with a mission, to live with a purpose. The New Testament reinforces this concept. You've, most of you have heard this passage before. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 it says, For we are God's handiwork, or we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We were designed with a purpose for a purpose. God, we are God's handiwork, we are God's workmanship to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are not an accident. You are here for a reason. You are here for a purpose. God designed you specifically to do something that will impact the kingdom, his kingdom. God's plan was that we would live a life of good works. Every single person in the room, you were designed to live a life of good works. And you have to stop for a moment and ask yourself, is that the life that I'm living right now? Am I living a life? Am I living out what God had designed me to do, those good works? Can you honestly say, yes, I, I'm doing what God designed me to do, but more than that, that I'm trying my best through the Word of God, understanding the Word of God, to do His will, to do His will. Would I say that my life describes what I just laid out for you? That's something we all need, that's a question we all need to answer. He designed us to live our lives with purpose. See, here's the thing. People with no purpose are just, they're lost. They're just, they're just swept around. They really have no, no guideline. They, they're, they're not moving in one direction. Having purpose. When someone has purpose, they have energy. Seriously, it's, it's what motivates you to get up in the morning. When you have a specific purpose, when you're excited about life, when you know what has God has designed and purposed you to do, when you understand that, you are motivated to get up. It drives you. That's what drives you to fulfill your goals in life. It's what makes you come alive. Some people are just, they're at work, they're, they're, and they, they're not at work on purpose. They're just at work. 
And they're just going through the motions and they, they don't understand. They're saying, well, I'm not doing something that I really love to do. And so they go to work every day with no purpose involved at all. But even if you're doing something that you feel is not your your greatest gift or your greatest desire, whatever else, you can still be at work on purpose doing what God has called you to do. Seeing your workplace as an opportunity to glorify God, to further his kingdom, to what did we say in the very beginning? To love others, right? To put others before yourself. To, to do good works in the workplace. That, that, there's an opportunity to, to do that. Because, because, because if we understand what God has designed us, ultimately what God designed us to be and, and, and for Him, no matter where we find ourselves, whether we're at work, whether we're at school, whether we're, uh, whatever, it doesn't matter, hanging out with our friends, we're on the field or on the court, we can do all of it to the glory of God. And that's what makes us come alive. It encourages us I can just speak for myself. That's what encourages me to take chances in life. I have one life here on earth. One life. And that life, I exist to glorify God. I exist to fulfill what God has designed me to do. And that allows me, it, it almost forces me to take chances. It pushes me out of my comfort zone. I'm like the rest of you. I have a comfort zone. There are certain things that I'm just comfortable doing, places I'm comfortable being, and, and things that I'm not comfortable doing, stepping. And it forces you, realizing that you were designed with a purpose by God and to do good works, to, to love others, to invest in other people, it forces you out of your comfort zone and allows you to become the person that you were ultimately created and designed to be. And so many, so many of us don't live that way. We really don't. We just kind of go through the motions. And you don't have to be an A-type personality in order to understand what I'm talking about. If you're, if you're a behind-the-scenes kind of person, then you need to be the best behind... You need to get... Then if you're the behind-the-scenes kind of person, then get behind the scenes and start driving things forward. Get behind the scenes. Get behind someone who's got that A-type personality and take the gifts and abilities and talents and everything that you have and resources and push whatever you feel you have a heart for that God has designed you to do. Push that forward using your gifts, your talents, your abilities. See, if, 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 we, if we take away someone's purpose, if you basically take away someone's purpose, and this is what culture does, whether they admit it or not, if you take away their purpose, and what ends up happening is that they have nothing and they begin to feel hopeless. Our world is coming apart. It's in chaos because so many people feel completely hopeless. Having a purpose is fundamental to living out God's original design. So many people, so many people try to find purpose apart from God. And I'm telling you, it cannot be done. I've, I have debated this with people for years and years. They'll say, well, you can find purpose outside of God. It cannot be done. Without God, the very definition and concept of purpose is completely lost. If you, you're in school and you're being taught you evolved, you evolved, you evolved, and then they want you to have high self-esteem, what a joke. If you evolved, there is no meaning to life. Your life has no purpose. It has no value. Those, that concept, those ideas of, of purpose and meaning and value and love are all meaningless concepts outside of the existence of God. People's desires honestly prove. Your desire for purpose and significance proves the existence of God. The world's desire and drive for purpose and significance 
proves the existence of God. Worms don't have a specific, they don't sit around and ants and sit around and say, contemplate the universe and say, where is my place in the universe and what is my purpose and what is my design? I need, in order for me to really be the worm that I can be, I need to fulfill my, they don't, that's not what the rest of, now what happens? You do it. Okay, God created everything, but you were designed differently in the image of God. That's why the creativity needs to come out. That's why you want to use what God has given you. That's why you desire that idea of purpose. See, our search for identity and significance inevitably leads us back to our creator. When you truly start seeking this out, it leads back to our creator. God gave us purpose in his action of creation. And we have to look at his original design in in order to find true significance. If you want to truly find purpose and meaning and significance and value in your life, you need to go back and say, I am designed by God. What was God's original design? Also, in God's original design, we were, we were intended to live a life of freedom. In God's original design, you and I, all of us, we were intended to live a life of freedom. Before the fall, that's how Adam and Eve lived. They lived a life of freedom. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, it says this, Now, although Adam and his wife were both naked, neither of them felt any shame. This is important. We were not designed to live in shame. There are so many people who are living in silent, basically suffering in silence in a life of guilt and shame. But guilt and shame were not a part of God's original design. That's not how God designed, originally designed the world. Guilt and, and shame were not a part of that. So many people are trapped. They're, 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 they're trapped in a life of discouragement. They feel overwhelmed and discouraged. But again, guilt and shame were not a part of God's original plan. That's not how we were designed to live. We were designed to live in freedom, in freedom. And people, here's the thing. And this is, I'm telling you this for a reason because there are people all around you, all around you, who are living this way. They are trapped. They are, they are, they are, they are trapped. People are often trapped in feelings of guilt and of, and, of, and of shame because they've walked away. They've rejected God's design and purpose for their lives. And we're around them all the time. And you know what? Honestly, we don't have the boldness and courage to invite them here. This will be a phenomenal series. To, and I'm challenging you to invite friends and neighbors and co-workers in this series, through this series. To understand their, why they were, what's their purpose in life. People are dying inside. They're dying inside. You look around the world and they see absolutely no hope. And they, they don't understand why things happen. And they don't understand why they feel the way they feel. They don't understand how can I have gotten to this point at work. I've reached this pinnacle and I still feel empty. Why? 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 Pascal said... There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person that only God can fill. He's exactly right. We need to have the courage to invite people to a a men's Bible study, a woman's Bible study, to church, uh, to youth group, whatever the case may be, because there are people like me, 17 years old, when someone first shared Christ with me, 17. There are people 37 and 47 and 57 who are feeling the same thing, except they have 30 more years to go through the misery that, that I basically felt. See, God created you to live in freedom. 
We talked about this in our last series, in the last few series, to dwell in his presence, right? The series before the one we just went through. Portraits. To dwell in the presence of God. That's the way he designed us, that we, we were designed to dwell in the presence of God. And when we don't dwell in the presence of God, when we don't have God in our lives, there's, there's something missing. We were, we were designed to experience joy and peace and beauty and contentment in relationship with Him. And when we don't have that, it's just there's a brokenness. See, before I gave my life to Christ, I struggled with the way the world functioned. I've said this before, I mean, how I felt. I just, by the time I was 17 years old, I was a dangerous human being. I was so angry and so bitter and felt so, what is all of, what is, what is all this? People would say, well, everybody, everybody's good at heart. And they would tell me all these platitudes and everything. And it would just drive me nuts because that's not what I saw in the world. The world that I was, that I was involved in for 17 years, that's, that's not the way it was. But I knew in my heart, honestly, even all throughout growing up, I knew this is not the way the world should be. A world filled with chaos and sorrow and loss and disease and famine and war. That's not the way the world was designed. I didn't even, I didn't even know God and I knew this was not the way the world should be. And it made me angry and honestly it led to feelings of hopelessness. You wonder why, why teenagers and people act out and they're, and they're just, they're just so discouraged and they're depressed and they're, because they're told, they're forced into a, a worldview that tells them, you know, you should have, you should feel good about yourself and you should, and then, and then they answer, why should I feel good about myself? And really, there's really no answer. Well, look deep down inside and you'll realize, what are you going to realize? Some people look deep down inside and come up with nothing. Some people look in the mirror and think, well, I, hey, I don't have the same. Why couldn't I be the quarterback of the football team? Why, why, was, why wasn't I designed with more muscles or a better shape or looking like this or whatever else? And people, they look at them and they, it, doesn't, it doesn't all add up for them. Because you evolve. That's just the way it is. But when you think about God designing you for a specific purpose and you get out of the temporal mindset and get into the eternal mindset and you see people, you, see, you watch different things and you see people who are missing limbs, who, who've been through horrendous circumstances. The girl on this show, um, um, America's Got Talent. She's Nigerian. She was in a plane crash and burned over 95% of her body. And, and, and she's up there singing like an angel. And it's just, you know what? She, just because she doesn't look the same as she used to look doesn't mean that she's lost her purpose in life that God has given to her. You can start seeing things from an eternal perspective and seeing things differently. And I was just frustrated because I, I didn't understand why the world was the way it was. But this isn't the way God ultimately designed the world. When I gave my life to Christ, I, I started to understand. My mind started, my mind started to change. My understanding started to change. I realized that I could be a part of the change that the world actually needed. That me, one person, and then if other people felt the same way, and other people got engaged and other people started thinking this way and they had that say they had a biblical worldview that that we not just me that we could bring about the change we could be a part of bringing about the change that the world needs 
And it started to change my way of thinking. I understood that together, together, I started thinking, wow, together. And I was very naive in in my understanding, but I thought, man, the church together could recapture some of what God originally designed. Now, I realize that until the return of Jesus Christ, you aren't, that, that you're not going to get the redemption. You're not, you're not going to get the, the, the restoration, ultimate restoration. But we can, we can remind ourselves and we can remind others, remind other people who we were originally designed to be. And we can start living that out in our lives. That's possible. Otherwise, the Bible, I mean, the Bible is, is telling us you exist to glorify God and to, and to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. And if I can continue, right, to go from bondage, holding me back and move toward the promised land, and I can understand who I am and I can continue to, you know, continue to do that and continue to mature and continue to grow. But if I can truly understand that, then I can use what I know to then impact the lives of other people, use my gifts, my talents and my abilities to impact the world around me. And we can recap capture some of what God originally designed for us and for the world around us. See, with the help of God's Spirit, we can grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We, we, we underestimate how much power we have. Jesus said when he went back, he said, when I leave you, okay, you will be able to do greater things than you've seen me do. And we just take that and read right past it. Well, I don't want to read right past it. I want to say, what does that mean for me personally? If I have that kind of faith, what is that going to mean for me personally? What's it going to mean for, for my church? See, we could re- I believe that we can recapture some of, what, some of what was lost. We could be more. We could be more. In, 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 uh, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, most of you have been in church and read this a million times, says, but the fruit of the Spirit, right, is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against, uh, it says, based against such things, there is no law. Now, the reality is, I think we would all agree in this room that we, we could all we could all use more joy, right? More peace, more patience, more kindness, more goodness, more gentleness, more self-control. We could all use more of those things. But if we began to live that way, can you imagine, can you just for a moment, if you could just imagine if everyone in the world experienced God's love, Well, that's ridiculous. How's everyone in the world going to experience God's love? Well, it's ridiculous if you don't talk to your neighbor and share the love of Jesus Christ with your neighbor. It's ridiculous if you're if you don't have the courage to go into school and and just get sucked up into the culture of your school, but instead be be counterculture in a sense of sharing the love of Jesus Christ and who you are and your design, who you were designed to be, and sharing that love of Jesus with other people. But I'm saying is, can you imagine a world where people experienced God's love and tried to live out the fruit of the Spirit? Think about that. Just think about just think about the world around us. If people understood and tried to experience, we're experiencing the love of God and trying to live out the fruit of the Spirit. Can you imagine a, a, a world where we where we found? Think about this: where we found our identity. Just this point. Can you imagine a world? Uh, can you imagine this room? If everyone in this room found their identity in Christ and our significance and our security in His designed purpose for us, can you ima- imagine the change, the total transformation? 
When I say go into your school and you be able to share the love of Jesus Christ, the reason you don't share the love of Jesus Christ is because of your fear of what other people might think or might say about you. But I said, what if we found our identity in Christ? What if you didn't care what anybody else was thinking? See, because we live in a fall, because we live in a fallen world, instead of living out this design that I just described, instead of living out this abundant, abundant life that God offers us, we depend on others for how we feel. We depend on others for our self-worth. We depend on other people to tell us if we're value, if we have any value. So as long as if I go into a group and everyone likes me or everyone agrees with what I'm saying, then I have value. But if I go in somewhere and people don't say something positive to me, I have no value. I have no, I have no significance. I have no purpose. Imagine if you didn't think that way, but you found your identity in Christ. Our identity in reality is wrapped up when other people think about, other people think about us. Let's be honest at work, at school, wherever, in your neighborhood, in church, okay? Our identity is wrapped up in what other people, how other people view us. We have lost, we lost our identity and our purpose and our significance when we lost our relationship with God. And you may be thinking once again, well, I've met people who said that they have, they have purpose and they have meaning and so have I. They have purpose and meaning outside of God. They've rejected God. They're atheists. They're agnostic. They rejected God. And they say they found meaning and purpose outside of God because every day is just, you know, we're, when we die, we're going to be dust in the wind. And so every day is just live with all the gusto you can. And they, they give you all these neat kind of things. But if you drill down, okay, if you drill down beneath the surface, you find that their significance is actually wrapped up in their significance and purpose is actually wrapped up in what they do. They define what success means and then they live to try to fulfill that definition of success. That's what they do. It's their whole purpose and their significance is wrapped up in what they do and their own definition of success. And here, get this, this is important, and how other people view them. It's all about, look how, look at, look at, ooh, look at what I've achieved and look at what I've done. And I've achieved, I live in this neighborhood, so I've achieved success. And I have this job and I have this salary, so I've achieved success. And now you look around and everybody, do you all understand that now? Do you understand how successful I've, I, I've, I've, I've laid out my criteria for success. I've met it. Now you all have to, you all have to clap for me because that gives me significance. And that's the reality of it. That, that is the reality, that is the reality of what we're talking about here. That is not freedom. That is not true purpose. I have, I love you all with all my heart and what you think and say about me does matter to a point. But if I was the last person on the planet, I'll give an example. If I'm the last person living who thinks that killing children is wrong, okay, abortion or something is wrong, you pick, a, you pick a, a, an issue that you, that's biblically founded, okay? It doesn't matter if the whole world disagrees with me, I'm going to my grave holding on to that view. I still feel I have purpose and significance and value and what everybody else thinks about what I think doesn't dictate how I feel about myself because I, I find my identity in Jesus Christ. Here's the reality. Take away the applause of others 
from these folks and their, signif- their significance becomes an illusion. You take away the, oh, you're so awesome. You're so cutting edge. You're so amazing. You, boy, I can't, you, read, you wrote that article or you did this or you gave that speech at work or whatever. You take away their applause and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, their significance becomes an illusion. And sadly, many in the church... Sadly, so many in the church live the same way. See, the good news is, here's the good news, that God has given us the, his power and his authority, okay? He, through his Holy Spirit, through, through the power of Jesus Christ, he's given us his power and his authority to recover some of what was lost. We have the power of the risen Christ in us, And we have his power and authority to recover some of what was lost. We don't have to live defeated, discouraged, minimalized, mediocre lives. That's not what we were designed, how we were designed to live. We don't have to live that way. We don't have to live the defeated, marginalized, mediocre lives. That's not how God designed us. But some of us live that way. Some of us have have chosen to live that way. We can live a purpose-filled life because of the power and authority that is given to us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Romans 8.37 says this, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Why are we more than conquerors? Because God loves us. Because we are called according to his purpose. Because God has designed us. We are a part. We're not just created by God. We are children of God. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. No, in these things, we are more than conquerors through him, through him, through him. It's not of ourselves who loved us. Us. We can experience fullness of life through Jesus Christ. We can experience, we can have that. That is something every single person in this room can have. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your experience have been. You can start right now. This can be your day. You can move forward and have those things. We can further, listen to me as a church, we can further the kingdom of God through the power of Jesus Christ. We can further the kingdom of God through the power of Jesus Christ. We can redeem, hear me out, we can redeem the marketplace. We can redeem the marketplace. And people start going, oh, see, he just gets all worked up. And then he starts saying things that are just silly. You can redeem the marketplace. See, here's the thing. God created everything. Satan created nothing. Satan then steals what God created. And I'm telling you, why do we turn over to the enemy what doesn't belong to him with no fight? I say we can redeem the marketplace. I say we can redeem the government. I say we can redeem the educational system. We can redeem the systems and structures of this world completely and totally. No, I'm not saying that. But why, why is it that we give in without even a fight? When you, when you, when you, when you pray and you're bold, and, you, and you, you can impact the world around you. Are you praying for your company that God would move in your company? That God would open up avenues for you to be able to, to, to share the love of Christ within your, your business? You say, that's impossible. Okay. That's what I mean. 
It doesn't happen because you think it's impossible. It doesn't happen. Then, but then you read books. It kills me, okay? I'm, I, I love you, so don't, I'm, not really, I'm not coming after you. Just hear me out for a second. Then Christians, not you, then Christians, we, we all, me, we read these books and these dynamic, amazing things happen and we're just so moved and you're like, Pastor, you've got to read this book. You've got to read this book. And it tells a story of something that was just mind-boggling and once impossible and now it happened and there's a revival happening and you just get all excited about it. And then I get up here and talk about how we can redeem the marketplace and everybody, well, <laughs> let's not get carried away. I want to, here's the deal, guys. I'm going to get carried away. I'm going to stay carried away because I, because I know it's not, if, if something happens in this world, it's not me. It's God working through me. If this church does dynamic things and has, this church has already done dynamic things for goodness sake. With the resources that we have, our footprint in this world, okay, is dynamic, is above and beyond what we could possibly ever ask or imagine. For the resources that we have and the size that we are, the footprint that we have, how is that happening? Because we're all so cool? Because we're all so dynamic? No, because we serve a dynamic God and we, 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 we drive forward to fulfill what God has called us to do. And we don't say it can't be done or it's impossible. We say, hey, if the marketplace needs to be redeemed, let's start in my, in my business. Let's start with me. Let's start with the people in the cubicles around me. Let's, let's impact the lives of people. Why, we're gonna, why can't we use the Orca Center? We can. To bring business people in the community we have into a room using godly people to train them in different areas of business where we're impacting their business and changing their lives and they're saying, why would you do this? And then you answer the question. We can take these things back. God is calling the church to restore some of what was lost. He is calling us to bring hope to the hopeless and strength to those who are weary and those who are worn and those who are weak. It is time that we use the power that he's given us to help free people from their bondage. People are in spiritual bondage. People are broken. They're hurting. And it's time for us to use the strength that God has given us, the strength of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to impact those people's lives. It's time to use that power to free them from bondage. God doesn't just want us to experience personal freedom. He wants us to use the gifts and talents and abilities that given us that we can help others experience that freedom of as well. God wants to transform our individual lives in the church, yes, but then he wants us to use what we have, the gifts that he's given us to bring about transformation in their lives as well. You want to set the church on fire? Start inviting non-Christians to the church. Allow their Holy Spirit to work in their hearts to set them on fire. And I'm going to tell you, it's like a blaze that will not end. We need to be more evangelistic in the church. We need to use the marketplace. We need to use all the gifts and all the, all the incredible ideas that God has given us when it comes to marketplace ministry and other areas, school, when we have archery, all these things in order to reach out to people who don't know Jesus Christ. Or why do we exist for goodness sake? And this series is going to help us do just that. God wants us to transform lives. He wants Grace Chapel to be an agent of transformation. That's what he wants. So that, so that we can impact our community, 
our nation and our world. He wants us to, to further the cause of Christ. He wants us to build the kingdom of God so that we can impact our community. We are impacting our community, but we can do more. Our nation, we are impacting our nation, but we can do more. Uh, impacting our world, we are, but we, I know that we can do more. That is God's plan for Grace Chapel. He didn't start this church and build this church and bless this church so that we can kind of rest on our laurels. I'm 55 years old. I just turned 55 in June. And some people are like, well, you're kind of, you're kind of on the other end. You know what I'm saying? Not a chance. I am just getting started. I am just getting started, man. I mean, I'm 55 years old. I was smarter than I was when I was 35, right? So if I'm smarter than I was when I was 35, I should be more spiritually mature. And I am than I was when I was 35 years old. All right. When I was 25, when I was 18, then why would I think that my best years are behind me and not in front of my best years of doing things for God? My best years. I will. I love. That's why I love Caleb. Right. I'm 85 years old. I'm just as strong to go out and battle today as I was then. Now, give me that hell country up there where the giants live. 85 years old. And he's saying my best days are not even anywhere near behind me. They're all in front of me. So if you're 50 or 60 or 70 years old, you think I'm going to let you scoot by in this church? You can forget it. Okay? You can forget it. Oh, we're, we are just, we're just getting started. See, I don't know about you, but that's, that's my desire and that is my hope. What we just described, that's my desire, that's my heart, that's my hope, and I refuse to settle for anything less. I refuse to settle for anything less. I say, God, take me, for goodness sake, if I'm going to settle for anything less than your best. And challenging all of you, whether it makes you uncomfortable or not, in this church culture, making people comfortable is the most important thing. Well, it's the least important thing for me because I love you too much to not challenge you to be the best that God has designed you to be. If we want to live out our purpose and design, we need to look into our hearts and ask God, honestly, as I close off here, ask God to forgive us, honestly. We need to ask God to for- forgive us for living in spiritual weakness and living our lives in some, in some ways in sin, living basically sinful lives. We need to turn away from the life that we're choosing to live right now. You're sitting here and thinking, yeah, I, this, this sounds all right. Maybe I can do this. But then you're, you've got, man, you're latched on to the life you're living right now because it, 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 it gives you certain things, certain pleasures. And, and so you're going to, you don't, yeah, you want to live over here, but you want to hang on this. Cut it loose. Let go of it, man. You have to let it go. It's like a, it's like a chain that here's your bondage and you get about this far and then ding. Ding, ding. You've got to cut the chain and let it go. You need to let go of that if you're going to fulfill all that God has designed for you to be. You need to turn away from the things that are holding us, that are holding us back. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, it says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Listen to this. That times of refreshment may come from the Lord. Let me read that again. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Okay, as far as the east is from the west, cut the chain, start moving away. They'll be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repentance is associated with refreshing that can only come from God. When we repent, and I need to, there needs to be some repenting in the church. I need to do some repenting. You need to do some repenting. You need to be some cutting of that chain so that we can find that refreshing. Repenting 
is associated with refreshing when, it's asso- when, it, when it comes from God. See, all of us, we all need to stop. We need to turn. And then we need to walk the path that God has designed us to walk. There it is. Stop, turn, and start walking the path that God has designed for you to walk. We need to start living out His truth. We need to start renewing our minds, refreshing our minds, adjusting our minds. We have the wrong mindset, and God's saying you need to renew your mind. We need to identify the lies. Some of you need to identify the lies that you're living out in your life right now. You're living out lies. You're not living out the truth. He says you need to identify those lies, and you need to start living out the truth. How many of us, seriously, close your eyes just for a second, okay? Just close your eyes for a second. How many of us in this room need spiritual refreshment? How many of you need that spirit? You are, you are just, it's medi- mediocrity is dripping. And you just feel, it's like, if you, if, it's like you're dry. How many of us need, want and need spiritual refreshing? How many of us need to feel brand new, right? You need to feel brand new. You're 55 or 65 or 75 or 25 for that matter. And you need to feel brand new. That, that passion again. How many of us are tired of living in fear and guilt and shame? How many of us feel the need to break out, honestly, of our self-inflicted shell or to soar beyond the limitations other people have placed on us? And you know what I'm talking about. You were designed to live in freedom. It is time to start living again, my friends. It's time to start living again. It is time to start living our lives by design. God, we pray with all of our hearts that we would live by design. That you would refresh our spirits. That we would feel brand new. And I pray, dear God, as we leave this place, that would be what is ringing in our minds, that we would feel brand new, that you can use us regardless of where we are, where we've been. We know where we're going if we walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and close out with this song.